The views expressed on this program are solely those of the speaker and do not reflect the views and opinions of Centennial Securities. Be reminded that this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Happy Friday! Welcome to the Weekly Investment Podcast, where we discuss the week's must-know investment news and how it affects your money. I am your host, Walter. This week, we discuss UK upheaval, contrarian indicators, and the US economy. It's been another exciting week in the investment world, so let's crack right into the news. British Prime Minister Liz Truss said that she would stick to her controversial plan to reignite economic growth following nearly a week of chaos in financial markets triggered by her huge tax cuts. What is happening across the pond and how does it affect you? Truss, who only came to power earlier this month, and her government revealed plans to dramatically cut taxes on the wealthy and increase spending. The economic package was bigger than analysts expected, and the prospect of higher deficits led to soaring rates on UK bonds, with the five-year yield rising to over 4% in the biggest single-day move on record. The British pound also got hammered and traded as low as $1.07 before rebounding slightly, depths not seen since 1985. Normally, when leaders of a developed country like Britain enact more expansionary fiscal policy, the effect is higher interest rates, but also a surging currency. The pattern happening now of higher rates and a weaker currency is what you expect to see in countries where investors lack confidence in the governance of institutions to prevent deficits from spiraling out of control. Simply, Investors are treating the UK more like an emerging market investment than a developed market investment. To shore up confidence, the Bank of England started buying bonds in an emergency move meant to protect pension funds from partial collapse. The trust government's credibility, meanwhile, has taken a big hit just before the UK economy faces what many investors think will be some of the most challenging months ahead. International investments in your portfolio could have a significant UK component to them, so keep alert to those risks and be prepared for developing world volatility in more developed market strategies. Overall investor sentiment is at historic levels of worry and fear. A recent survey showed the highest level of pessimism since the first week of March 2009. What does all this negative investor sentiment signal, and what does it mean for you? The American Association of Individual Investors Sentiment Survey asks individuals to describe their six-month outlook for stocks. According to the most recent survey, over 60% questioned were negative on the market for only the fifth time ever. 
the percentage of investors who responded as being positive on the market ranked in the 20 lowest since the survey's inception back in 1987. When this amount of negativity happened in the past, the S&P 500 was up more than 33% a year later on average. Is all this negative sentiment a contrarian indicator? A contrarian indicator tells investors that it may be a good time to go in the opposite direction of recent market trends. There are many types of contrarian indicators that investors look to when deciding to buy or sell. Contrarian strategies often prompt investors to buy into the market when others are feeling negative or to sell when others are feeling positive. For example, the AAII sentiment survey indicates a high level of negative market sentiment, so contrarian investors will expect a market uptick. Contrarian strategies involve betting against existing market trends and can be considered risky, especially for the inexperienced. Adopting a contrarian investing strategy takes time research, and a very good understanding of the different market indicators individually and what they signal collectively. As we discussed previously on the WIP, Warren Buffett is a big fan of contrarian strategies. The Oracle of Omaha has the experience, knowledge, and capacity to ride out volatile periods and benefit over the long term. This Thursday, the Commerce Department revised two measures of the nation's economic activity, gross domestic income and gross domestic product. The revisions brought the two measures closer together, but the new numbers didn't clarify whether the economy is shrinking or growing. Here's what you need to know about the economy's current and potentially future state. Gross domestic income and gross domestic product are slightly different. GDI counts what all participants in the economy make or take in, like wages, profits, and taxes, while GDP counts the value of what an economy produces, like goods, services, and technology. GDI, adjusted for inflation, grew at 0.8% and 0.1% in the first and second quarter of the year, respectively. Those numbers were much weaker than what was reported in earlier estimates. By this metric, the economy performed worse than expected in the first half of 2022. Gross domestic product, which is a better-known measure of inflation-adjusted output, shrank during both quarters by 1.6%, and 0.6% in the first and second quarter. Those figures were unchanged from prior estimates. Taken together, the two measures suggest that the economy struggled through the first half of the year. Looking at GDP alone, the economy has been shrinking for two consecutive quarters, a common but unofficial definition of a recession. Some economists prefer an average of GDI and GDP to gauge economic activity rather than using either individual figure alone, and that average showed output shrank in the first half of the year. So, if the economy has been shrinking, 
why are economists still on the fence about calling a recession? In theory, GDI and GDP should be identical. GDI measures all the money earned, and GDP measures the value of all the goods and services produced and sold. One person's spending is someone else's income, so those two figures should add up to the same amount. In practice, the two measures don't align perfectly, and a big gap between GDI and GDP has been attributed to economic disruptions and government spending stemming from the pandemic. My take is that basic underlying trends back the slowdown in the macroeconomic data. Purchases of houses and big ticket items like cars and appliances have slowed in recent months as higher interest rates and higher prices due to inflation have impacted consumer behavior. What lies ahead for the economy? Keep an eye on changes in the unemployment rate. The economy runs on jobs, and unemployment is historically low now. However, during earnings season, where America's biggest companies announce their financial performance for the previous quarter and give guidance for the months ahead, there was a startling consistency on the future outlook. Whether it was McDonald's, Microsoft, or Morgan Stanley, many major companies tempered their outlook for hiring or announced outright job cuts. These reductions in hiring won't show up in the economic data for months, but possibly foreshadow trouble ahead. Join us next week as we discuss the beach, Caipirinhas, and Carnival. No, it's not vacation. It's Brazil, South America's biggest economy. Join us next Friday for that and much, much more. Thank you for listening, and please have a nice weekend when you get there. Talk to you next week.